Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you are blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church and its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to redchurch.org.au. Welcome this morning. My name's Daniel. Um, I am part of the team here, one of the pastors, um, and it's great to, great to be sharing with you today. Um, I really enjoy being a part of this community, and I, and I love uh, what God is doing amongst us, and I love the way that he's um, awakening us and to, to who he is, um, to, to his deep, deep love and affection for his people um, and the reality of, of who he is and how we, how we follow him in this world. And I've been particularly encouraged in the last couple of weeks just hearing, um, obviously God is, is doing some significant work amongst our church, but hearing that that is true for many churches across Melbourne. Um, um, we had that word a couple of weeks ago, of Aslan is on the move, like just chatting with other pastors and leaders, there's something happening um, across, um, across churches in Melbourne. And so just encourage you to keep praying um, for our church, praying for the churches, uh, all churches in Melbourne, um, as God continues to, yeah, awaken this city to, to his reality um, and what it means to follow him. <clears throat> um, I'm going to, uh, yeah, unpack, unpack some stuff today. Um, but firstly, we, we are a church that is all about following Jesus. Um, we call that discipleship. We live lives um, of, of coming to know Jesus and then walking out obediently, his call, his, his desire for, for our lives. And um, some of the language we've been using to, uh, recently around that is um, deepening our devotion to Jesus, um, where we increase, uh, we did a series uh, recently, um, Deep Wells, where we increase our capacity to to know and understand um, and live out uh, our devotion to Jesus. And so what I want to talk to, to you about today, what I want to share, um, it, it feels like a weighty topic. <laughs> um, it feels... Um, more than my words can express. Um, and so my goal here isn't just to give you some more information. Um, my goal here is to, to awaken us to um, greater realities of who our God is um, and, and who we are as, as his people as we walk this out. Um, so I'm just going to begin with, with a passage of Scripture, um, 2 Chronicles 7, 14-15. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I'm going to come back to this passage, but I just want to highlight a couple words in there. Humble themselves. Pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. We have an incredible God who knows us. Um, he knows every fibre of our being. He knows us physically. He knows us 
um, emotionally, mentally, what goes on inside of us and whatever reality you're facing at the moment, um, he is aware of and he knows and he is invested in, um, in that reality. But he also knows that we are human, that we are fallen, we are broken. That is our condition. Um, and he knows our deepest longings. Um, and I, I believe our two deepest longings in this world um, are to be loved and to worship. To love, uh, to be loved and to worship. And God longs to satisfy both those longings. Um, and we can spend a lifetime trying to satisfy them outside of God. Um, but our invitation as, as the people of God, as followers of Jesus, um, is to find those longings fulfilled, satisfied and perfected um, in the person of God. And so <clears throat> to help us understand um, not only that God satisfies these, um, but that he um, is what satisfies these. He doesn't just give us things, he gives us himself. And so I'm going to just uh, use a bit of a continuum to, to understand that. If, we're, if our desires are to be loved and to worship, um, God satisfies those in this, in this continuum of the closeness of God, where he comes close. Um, traditional uh, kind of theological language around this is the imminence of God, where he reveals uh, his person, what he is like, uh, that he is love, that he's full of grace, that he is close. We get to experience God in his closeness. But then there is also the bigness of God, and we often use language of transcendence, that God is bigger. There is a majesty, there is a reverence, there is a, a wonder about who he is. Um, and you read scripture and you encounter that God is so much more than we can comprehend or understand or have words for. And some of the... Um, so kind of some of the markers of this, I think about closeness, um, it is that love, it is that intimacy with God, it's the relationship, it's personal. We experience God through these things, the closeness of God through these things. Um, but then we experience the bigness of God through, through our worship, um, through his majesty, through his reign over all the universe, and for the fact that he is other. He is creator, and we are created. He is different from us. We're made in his likeness, but he is other. <clears throat> Tozer, Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so as part of what I want to look at today is what do we think about God? Who do we think God is? Because that shapes us. And so for a moment, be honest. Who, who do you think God is? What is he like? Um, if you think about that, that continuum of closeness to bigness, where do you land on that? Which part of God do you relate with more? Which part do you engage with more? Is it the closeness of God? Do you know him as a close God? 
or is it perhaps more the bigness and you, you, you sit over in um, marvelling at the bigness of God? I know how uh, our, our church tradition and that we grew up in um, or initially experienced um, or, our, or our experiences throughout our walk, um, throughout our life often shape, uh, shape what we think about God. Um, I know for me, growing up in the church tradition, I did uh, most of the language, most of the structure was around the bigness of God. Um, and the closeness of God seemed quite, quite a distant and quite a foreign, um, foreign thing that, that has changed throughout the course of my life. Um, <clears throat> but where do you land? What is God like for you? Yeah. My, my time as a pastor suggests that um, most, most of us, particularly in the last generation, we probably relate more with the closeness of God, um, that desire to be loved, to be in relationship, um, to be known. Um, it's so real and so, so personal, and, and most of us are quite comfortable um, with this. Um, and I know, uh, particularly for the last couple of generations of church, it's a lot easier to talk about the closeness of God and that he loves you and that he wants to be in relationship with you and that Jesus has saved you. And it's a bit trickier to kind of talk about the holiness of God or the bigness of God. And so, um, and I think there's also some cultural realities around us. In a, in a country like Australia, we, we're, we're fairly flat in terms of our uh, hierarchy. And so we prefer um, mateship over any kind of hierarchy or authority. And so it's easier to relate with God as kind of a, in a mateship sense than it is to relate with him as a, an authority sense. And so I think there's a couple, few things going on in our in our world, that means probably for a lot of us, we relate more with the closeness of God. Um, and I just want to emphasize, um, closeness is a good thing. I, if you know me, I'm all about, I'm all about the closeness of God. Uh, my, the last time I preached here, I preached on the love of Jesus. <laughs> I'm all about it. It's changed my world and it's the most beautiful and compelling thing. But if that's all we know, there's a, there's a, there's a problem there because we're actually missing out on more of who God is. Tozer goes on to say, he says, a right conception of God is basic not only to systematic theology, but to practical Christian living as well. It is to worship what the foundation is to the temple. Where it is inadequate or out of plumb, the whole structure must sooner or later, to, or later collapse. So what he's saying here is if we, don't, if we misunderstand God, if we don't have a misconception of God, that actually means our, the foundation upon which we build our faith, upon which we worship, the way we go about our lives, living our Christian life, will be skewed. That we out of plumb in his language. And so what I want to perhaps help us do is, is come back to the middle. What is the middle ground like? How do we straddle the closeness of God and the bigness of God? And as we do, I just want to caveat, we will, <clears throat> as we contemplate 
as we look towards the bigness of God, uh, we will quickly come against the issue of control. We want God that we can, to an extent, control. We want Him, we want him on our terms. And we need, the, we need a feeling of security of what He is like. And so, as we hold the tension of, of the closeness of God and the bigness, we have to firstly let go of control, get comfortable with let, letting go of control. And then, secondly, purify who we understand God to be. If the scripture, scripture is uh, true in what it says about who God is, then that will come against some of our, what we imagine God to be like, what our perhaps experiences have been or what we've been taught in the past. And so what, what does it look like to purify that and then elevate what we think about God? We must embrace the mystery and the wonder and the fear of God again. And so that's what I want to spend a little bit of time on today is looking at, looking at the bigness of God. What does that look like in a, in a context like ours? How do we begin to uh, perhaps swing the pendulum a little bit um, towards, the, um, t- towards the middle in our lives? <clears throat> and so to do that, I'm going to look at some biblical uh, characters who um, encountered both the closeness of God, who knew the closeness of God, who walked with him, who talked with him, but then also encountered the bigness of him, who experienced him in ways that, that they even struggled to put words to. And so I'm going to look at four, four uh, characters. We've got, I'm uh, going to begin with Isaiah. Um, Isaiah, he is a prophet in, uh, uh, for the, um, uh, in the people of Israel, um, the Hebrew people, and he's in a context about 700 years-ish before Jesus came along, and they're in a context where God has uh, instructed and led and, and shown people how to walk his way, and yet they're rejecting that way. And so God raises up this prophet Isaiah to go, hang on, there is a better way, and I want to point you back to that way. And early on in the book of Isaiah, um, in chapter 6, which uh, you may be familiar with, he has this encounter with God. Um, so I just want to read that for us. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. I saw the Lord high and exalted. Just imagine this for a moment. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, and these are kind of like celestial heavenly beings, each of them with six wings. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. And what's Isaiah's response? Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king the Lord Almighty. So of Isaiah, next I want to look at Ezekiel. Um, Ezekiel came a little, little bit after. He was, again, another prophet. Um, his context was uh, the Israelites had been in, led into captivity by the Babylonian Empire, 
Um, I mean, if you're not familiar with the book of Daniel, you'll be familiar with that, some of that story. And Ezekiel comes, is a prophet that comes shortly after that. And he too has this vision, um, has this encounter with God. I won't read the full, um, full chapter in Ezekiel 1, but it says, he, the heavens opened and I saw visions of God. And then he goes on to describe what he sees. But it's interesting, he, can't, he doesn't have words for exactly what he sees. He has no human language for what he sees. So he needs to use language like, it was like this, or it had the appearance of this. But interestingly, what's his response? It says, I fell face down. When he encounters God, his response is to fall face down. <clears throat> and then we look at Moses. Moses in, in Exodus. Um, I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with this story. <clears throat> when he's leading the Israelites uh, out of captivity in Egypt and into um, towards the promised land, but they're going through that, that wilderness period. And um, Moses has already encountered God before. He's encountered him uh, in the burning bush and has this experience with, with God. But then a while on, as he's leading these people in Exodus 33, Moses goes up a mountain and, and having had the having have that relationship with God, that closeness of God, he dares to ask, show me your glory. It's a fairly bold strategy. Show me your glory. And God responds, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, but you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And what's Moses' response? to this, is to bow to the ground and to worship. He repents. He asks for forgiveness. He sees that he is unworthy, that his people are unworthy before God. And then finally, looking at John, um, in, uh, in the book of Revelation, um, uh, John, one of the disciples of Jesus, he, he has, he's on this island and he, again, has this uh, encounter, this vision um, uh, with, uh, in, in the Spirit. And he says, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and I saw someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And what's John's response? When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. So I just want to invite you to, to pause and sit with the reality of what we're, what we're reading here and what's going on here, what they're encountering, what God is like. 
Firstly, there is a whole other reality that they're encountering. They know and experience their earthly reality, the day by day, the people they're around, the decisions they have to make. But they are then experiencing and seeing this whole other reality. And I know for me, there's time, like life, life is lived here. Life is lived on this earth and it's, I'm here, I've got a, got a pulpit, I'm an iPad here and I'm wearing my Doc Martens. And, like, there is a reality that I'm a part of right now. But then there is this whole other reality at work that we struggle to put language to, that we struggle to comprehend. So firstly, there is, they are confronted by a whole other reality. And secondly, clearly they're afraid. They haven't even seen all of God. It's a, it's a vision. Or in Moses' case, God actually, he says, the Bible says he uses his hand to put him in, hide him in the cleft of a rock as he, as he goes past. And their response is they fall down, they faint, they cry out, they worship, they repent. There is a visceral reaction to the presence and the bigness of God. And the language that the Bible uses to, as, we, as we consider the bigness of God and people's encounter with him is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. I'm not sure what comes to mind for you um, when you think about that, um, but I thought it'd just be helpful for us to look at what's, it, what, what's the definition of, of the word fear. So I, my, some of my experience has, has been it often gets watered down to make it a little bit more palatable, um, but if we look at it, it's the Hebrew word yera, um, and as a lot of Hebrew word does, uh, Hebrew words do, um, English words struggle to directly translate. Um, so there's a number of words that, that, kind, of, that uh, kind of help us understand uh, yera or, or fear. Respect, reverence, worship, awestruck, and then it's trembling, it's fright, it's dread. When was the last time you felt in awe of God? When did you find yourself so humbled by his majesty? Have you trembled in his presence before? In Psalm 89, it says, In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Even the heavenly beings have this fear of God. And so just to, just to help um, us realise that I'm not just kind of making some stuff up here, um, the Bible actually teaches and instructs us around this, uh, around the fear, of, the fear of the Lord. Um, so I just want to just highlight a few passages um, that talk about this. We have Psalm 25, the Lord confides in those who fear him. Work out your, oh, this is Paul in Philippians 2, work out your salvation with reason and logic. Oh, no, it's actually fear and trembling. 
Be afraid. This is Jesus speaking, Matthew 10. Be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Isaiah 22. He will be the sure foundation, a rich store of salvation, wisdom, knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. Ones I'm sure we've heard before, Psalm 111, Proverbs 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 19, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Proverbs 14, the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. I love this. You think about a fountain. It keeps going. The water keeps being poured out. Fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. Life keeps coming. And then finally, Psalm 112, blessed. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord. So at this point, as we humbly contemplate the bigness of God, as we perhaps allow our souls to feel the weight of him, we face two realities. The first one, who God is. That is the first reality we come up against when we consider the bigness of God, that he is truly God that he is the king and ruler over all things. He is the creator and sustainer of all things and that he is perfect and glorious in all of his ways. When was the last time you sat with that reality? When you just held in your mind and in your heart who God is? What if that was true? I want to say it, it is true. This is who our God is. The second reality we face as we contemplate the bigness of God is who we are. We are the created, but we are fallen and we are broken and we are beholden to the judgment of God. Nothing we ever do in our own strength will be enough. And I'm, maybe, maybe you've had a moment like this before where you do come into the presence of God and you, you discover the bigness of him. And the, the, yeah, that reality sets in, I am unworthy before you. And that is a confronting reality often for our souls. There is good news, which I'll get to. <clears throat> um, C.S. Lewis uh, sums it up well. He says, in God, you come up against something uh, which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore you know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Ooh, Lewis. Doing a number on us there. <clears throat> so just to help us, I, I just for a moment, pause. This is this is a this is a hard <laughs> message to preach on. It's hard to like the um, the prophets and, and others had struggled to find language to put to God. It's, it's often hard to try and form a message around the, the bigness of God in, in half an hour. Um, 
And my invitation for you is to take what I've shared today and, and to spend time yourself reading through the Psalms, reading through Proverbs, reading through people's encounter and allowing God. But there, it, it beckons a response. And so I just want to look at for us, what it, how do we respond to the bigness of God? What do we do with that? Well, firstly, there, there's an individual response that we have. On the first one, <clears throat> um, I was... Are found in, in, in Psalm 46, 10, where it says, Be still and know that I am God. And we really like that. We really like that passage and we use it in our devotional times. Um, but then it goes on to say, and there's more, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So something happens as we are still. And that's the first thing I want to highlight as we contemplate and come before the bigness of God, be still and know that he is God. Are you too busy? Are you too distracted? Have you created time to sit and to hold some of the weightiness? Be still and know that I am God. We've got to stop to recognize this. And the next thing is, um, is repentance. So we've got be still. The next one is repentance. Matthew 5, 8 says, this is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. There's a purification that needs to happen. And then in Romans 2.4, it says, We deserve his wrath, but God in his kindness leads us to repentance. As we experience the bigness of God, we, yeah, as I shared, mentioned before, we will experience the weight of our fallenness, of our brokenness, of our sin, of our shame, of our misaligned desires. But God in his kindness leads us to repent of those things, to confess. And I also just want to highlight in that repentance, I mentioned it earlier, but control. We will come up against control. Um, if you're struggling to, to consider and contemplate the bigness of God, maybe there's some issues of control. What does it look like to actually lay that before God and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry where I've tried to control you, where I've tried to fit you into a box, where I've tried to mold you into something that I can comprehend or, or, or palate. Maybe there's issues of pride where you actually think you are better than God, where the creator created Reality is misaligned. Um, again, God's kindness leads us to repentance. So we've got being still, we've got repent, and thirdly, worship. As I mentioned before, we have a desire, we have an inbuilt desire to worship. There is a throne within us 
upon which we will place something to worship. And so as we do, as we do contemplate the bigness of God, as we sit and hold his majesty, as we find ourselves in awe, as we experience more of the bigness of God, inevitably our hearts will be drawn to worship him. Our, heart, our worship will be purified and satisfied and no longer kind of flitting about from one thing to another, trying to find that thing to worship. And the beauty, the beauty of all of this is that we, that you, as we contemplate the bigness, it actually, there's this compounding effect that happens where we actually experience more of the closeness of God. As God becomes bigger, the capacity and the revelation and our understanding of just how loved we are becomes even greater. And that is a beautiful work and why it's so important that we actually come back to that middle point between the bigness and the closeness because it will actually grow and nurture the, the closeness of our relationship with him as well. So there's an individual response, be still, repent, worship, but then there's also a corporate response. And coming back to that Second Chronicles passage, if my people... My people, there's a collective term here, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be opened and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. We as a church, we are continuing and believing for God's renewing work in this time in history. As we've said before, where it looks like the church is on decline, we are believing that God actually wants to renew his church. He wants to awaken a city like Melbourne to his reality. He wants to bring renewal throughout the world. He wants to restore justice where there's injustice. He wants people to hear and know his name, follow his ways, but he uses us and partners with us in that renewing work. But he, yeah, in this, in this passage, he invites us to humble ourselves, to pray, to seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. And he will not only forgive our sin, he will heal our land. And his eyes will be open, his ears attentive to the prayers that we offer in this place. And so your individual response matters in the corporate. When you respond and lean into the bigness of God and the closeness together, where our love and our worship is purified and satisfied, God begins to move in significant ways. And so I want to invite you and call you to lean into this because that matters in the corporate, matters for the person on your left and your right as well. Now, just, I, I want to offer a, a pastoral word, I suppose, for, for people that 
I, I said earlier, I think, I think most people probably can relate more with the closeness of God. Um, I imagine there might be a few of you who perhaps are more in the bigness of God. Um, and perhaps for you that has looked, um, you've sat in that for a long time. But it's actually become a place where God is distant now, where he's static and cold, um, where you're actually, you look towards the closeness of God and you actually feel too scared to approach approach him, too scared to be close to him. Maybe your faith has just become disconnected religion or just going through the motions. I just want to encourage you with a, with a couple things. Firstly, all, we live this side of Jesus. All of what I shared, we, can, we get to come through and enter in and engage with through Jesus. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus is, is the gateway. Um, and so I want to encourage you to look to Jesus, to the person of Jesus. And as we do, Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace. Hmm. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. You are able to approach God's throne because of Jesus. And you will receive mercy and find grace in that place. And one of the, be- the best ways I've found, and, and I'm sure many of you have as well, getting to know the closeness of Jesus, getting to know the closeness of God, is spend time in the Gospels. We actually come and encounter Jesus' work, his ministry here on earth, God incarnate here on earth, walking out with people, teaching people, walking with them, healing them, instructing them, encouraging them. Um, and also um, the Chosen series. I'm, I'm not sure if you've seen that or not, but it's such a beautiful um, depiction of, of the humanness of Jesus and how he relates and engages with his people. Um, and I've just found it so just beautiful just to see, um, yeah, I suppose that human side of Jesus and experiencing the closeness of how he just loved and journeyed with people. So just a, just a couple of things there. Um, if, you, if you find yourself more down this end, Jesus is always, he's the, he's the way, he's the answer. Um, but find, yeah, there's a couple of ways there to perhaps engage and move towards the closeness of him. Last, last week we had, um, we had Catherine uh, share some of her story with us. And I just, I was, I just love that she, um, what she shared, and I love um, just hearing uh, the journey that God's been taking her on and what he's been teaching her and showing her. Um, and just something she said uh, that I want to share with you, just really, I suppose, affirmed for me, like, actually, this is good, good to teach on. This is good to, good to share and encourage us with. Um, but she said, uh, I had an image of the king and his majesty, his holiness and reverence. And I was so happy to be in his presence at that moment. 
And so God is awakening our community and our people to more of who he is. Um, And so I want to invite you to be a part of that, to encounter God afresh in new ways, to allow yourself to enter into the awe and wonder and mystery of God, allow your your souls to, to, to fear him in all that that means. And I'm excited for a community of people that do that together and what that means and the way God moves amongst us. Um, I'm just going to pray. Um, come, Holy Spirit. Come and lead us. Come and encourage us. Come reveal fresh things to us. Open our eyes to greater realities. Stir something deeper in our hearts. May we begin to, um, like, like the people we've heard about, con- contemplate and hold the weight and the gravity of who you are. Your majesty, your wonder, your sovereignty, your rule and dominion over all. Come Holy Spirit.